It's worth knowing what's really going on. This is the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the podcast formerly known as Access Atlanta from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm your host, Shane Harrison. You may have noticed that the name on our logo has changed a bit. That's just a placeholder because we are currently developing a brand new show that will have a new name and a new sound. We'll be working on getting that right this summer. In the meantime, we'll be revisiting some of our favorite interviews from our first four years. As we do that, we'll continue our mission to get you ready for the weekend with a roundup of some of the fun, entertaining, and educational things to do in and around Atlanta in the coming days. Let's get started with a couple of those events. Widespread Panic returns to the Fox Theater beginning Wednesday, August 10th for four makeup concerts that take the place of the band's New Year's Eve shows, which were postponed last year due to COVID-19 precautions. Since then, the iconic jam band has released Miss Kitty's Lounge, an album that consists of demo recordings made in 1990 with the original Widespread Panic lineup. Miss Kitty's Lounge is much more than a hodgepodge of discarded songs or a historical document. It is a full-throated Widespread Panic album that was recorded, but not released, just as the band's star was beginning to rise. Read the Q&A with the band's singer, John Bell, from our partners at Arts ATL. You'll find that online at AJC.com. There are two times when most people will stray from healthy eating holidays and fairs. If it's fried, and better yet, on a stick, you can find it at fairs and festivals. You can get that fried food at several fairs and festivals that fill the final few weeks of summer, as August gives way to September. Maybe there'll even be a hint of fall in the air. Check out our list of of end-of-summer fairs and festivals in this week's Go Guide on August 12th, or find it online at AJC.com. Stay tuned for more events later in the podcast, and after the featured conversation, we'll take a look at what the AJC is bringing you this week, both online and in print. But first, let's revisit a podcast from June 2021, when Melissa Ruggieri spoke with musical theater and film phenomenon, Lin-Manuel Miranda. Miranda's In the Heights finally made its way to movie theaters that summer. Miranda spoke with the AJC's Melissa Ruggieri about the movie and its long journey from the stage to the screen. And keep in mind that the interview we're about to hear is from last year, so any dates and events that may come up are in the past. Welcome, Melissa. Hey, Shane. So um, this is a a pretty cool thing to uh, get to talk to uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda. He's uh, quite the phenomenon, you know? 
You know, when they called to offer an interview with them, it was one of those things that regardless of what I was doing that day, I changed my schedule because <laughs> you don't want to miss an opportunity to talk to this guy and to be able to talk to him about something that, you know, everybody knows him from Hamilton, of course, yeah. it's this cultural worldwide phenomenon, but In the Heights was really his baby. This was the first thing, this was the first musical he wrote. And we talked about a little bit that, you know, he kind of joked that most people, when they start out, uh, they'll say, you know, why don't you adapt a musical <laughs> for your first time? Don't necessarily write your own musical <laughs> for your first time. And this was something going back to the late nineties that he had crafted. And now the fact that, you know, it eventually made its way to off Broadway and then the, you know, onto Broadway for three years, won a bunch of Tonys, did the touring thing, did the whole, you know, and they started talking about doing this as a movie way back in 2008 and 2009. And, and then, you know, as, as time went on, there was distribution rights with the wine scene company was originally supposed to be involved. And, you know, so there was that whole thing going on. And then they finally get to the point that, okay, the movie is cast. Lynn is now too old to play the main role, which is what right. he had done on stage. So they have to recast that with Anthony Ramos, who is also a Hamilton alum from the original Broadway cast and was also in *The Stars Born*. And you know, he, he's he's an ascending actor and is just so great for this role and so soulful. We can talk about that in a second. But so they get to the point that they're finally able to film this in New York because the the movie is based in Washington Heights, where Lynn grew up and still lives, you know, twenty blocks away, and. They film it in 2019 in New York. They they just miss pandemic shutdown, all this kind of stuff. It's supposed to come out late summer of 2020. And then you go, mm, no, maybe not so much. Right. Yeah. <laughs> why, why release it when it can't be shown in theaters? And it's the kind of movie that even though I saw a screener of it that I was able to watch on my TV and not my stupid computer, because nothing irritates me more than having to watch a movie on the computer screen. <laughs> yeah. It's just not how movies are supposed to be watched. And this is probably going to be the first movie that I am going to venture out to the back to the theaters to see because there are so many big musical numbers in it and just the, the panoramic sweep of the dancing and the choreography and the, the wonderful, wonderful music that's in it that I just want to experience it on the way the way it's supposed to be experienced. And John M. Chu, he, he directed Crazy Rich Asians. He is who directed this movie. And Lynn and I actually talked a little bit about, you know, just the fact that, okay, it's going to be out in theaters. It's coming out June 10th. But then the same day, it's also going to be streaming on HBO Max. And that's something that we've seen over the last year with a lot of movies doing. And I said, you know, are, are you, how do you feel about the fact that you'll reach a much broader audience, just like Hamilton, when it came out on Disney Plus last year, you know, had millions of people watching it that never would have been able to get to Broadway or even a touring production. So you're going to have a broader audience, but yet those people aren't going to be having the same experience as those who are going to go to the theater. And he said, you know, when, when John was filming this, he probably wasn't thinking of people watching it on their iPhones, <laughs> because, right. you know, at least not until a year after it had been released in theaters. But he said, look, you know, obviously everybody's safety is the most important thing. He's really hoping that a lot of people who may already have HBO Max might do kind of what I did is, you know, watch it at home and then go see it in the theater or go see it in the theater and then have the experience if you want to rewatch it and you're able to watch it at home as well. So it actually gives you more options than you would have had normally, which is not a bad thing. It's just just sort of our, our current way of life, I think, for at least a few more months. Right. And I mean, you know, movies always, you know, in, in the before times, we're always, you know, in the theater for a 
you know, a, a certain amount of time and just a finite time. And then from then on, you, you experienced it in a much smaller format. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. It's, it, it, you know, it's just destiny that movies are going to be seen that way eventually. But there is something to be said for seeing it in a theater. And this, I mean, you can tell from the trailers that, you know, it's an expansive thing, these huge production numbers. And uh, it's probably going to look pretty spectacular on a big screen. Well, you know, one of the one of the first things I said to Lynn was early in the movie, there's a little bit of a voiceover that sort of, you know, stages the scene or whatever. And they talk about Washington Heights, where the streets are made of music. And I said, you know, when you start off like that, you've already hooked me because <laughs> I, I want to know anything about a place where the streets are made of music. And yeah. that's what's just so wonderful about this movie, too, is the multiculturalism that runs throughout. And it's a story about you know, it's a story about a young bodega owner in Washington Heights who, you know, it's about dreams, and but it's also about family. And I know those sound like really broad topics and things that you kind of roll your eyes at, like, well, what is it about dreams or what isn't about family? But but Lynn just, he's such a great storyteller. And and I joked with him right at, off the top of our interview. I said, man, you know, between Hamilton and now some of the songs and In the Heights, you have so many words. <laughs> <laughs> He's, I've never, I, the, the guy just uses a dictionary's worth of material in everything that he does. And he's just so clever with his wordplay. And, and this movie in particular, you know, again, it, it goes back to his earliest days of writing. There, there's a heartfelt aspect to it that is, of course, very different than, than Hamilton and, you know, other works that he's done, because I think this meant so much to him, being that it's about his neighborhood. And, being that, you know, he's such a, a family man that, you know, he he was able to bring that forward. And even though he is not starring in the movie, uh, and of course he's a, you know, he's producing the movie, um, he does have a role in it. And he right. is what is known as the Pirag, see, I can't roll my R's. <laughs> you would think, you would think as an Italian, I'd be able to. <laughs> Piragua, Piragua is, is the, it's a Puerto Rican shaved ice dessert. Right. And he, he's the guy who pushes the cart and he has a song in the movie. And he said, you know, he really didn't want to be in the movie. He had, you know, no interest in being in the movie. He felt like you know, this was John's cast and this was their thing. And, you know, he had his time, but then, you know, how do you not have Lynn in the movie that right. <laughs> he created basically? So they wound up, you know, talking him into playing this small role. And he said, it's actually a tribute to his grandfather who died shortly after in the Heights came to the stage. And he was so happy that his grandfather was able to, to see an early preview of the show because he died shortly thereafter. And right. he just decided to channel his grandfather and just his portrayal of the Pilagua guy. There we go. Got it right. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a cute song. It's very sweet. And, there's a cute cameo that also kind of harkens back to the In the Heights stage production. If if you were someone who saw that back when it was on Broadway or, or off Broadway, and and you know it's it's a great cast. Um, you know, I mean, you'll see a lot of familiar names. Jimmy Smiths is in it, and he sings. Uh, Dasha Polanco, who is in Orange Is the New Black. You'll see, you know Stephanie Beatrice, yep. who's in uh, Brooklyn Nine Nine. You know, all these people that you're kind of like, oh yeah, I know, I know her, I know her. Right. Uh, oh, and then Olga Meredes, she stars as Abuela Claudia, and she's actually in the role that she originated on Broadway. She's one of the few people who was able to tra- translate her role to the screen because she was really young <laughs> when she was playing the older abuela on Broadway. And now, yeah. even though she's older, she still kind of looks a little young to be playing <laughs> an abuela. But, <laughs> but Lynn was really happy that he was able to get her back for that. And then having Mark Anthony in it, he's not in it a lot. It's, it's a small but pivotal role, as, as they say. But that was, uh, that was somebody that Lynn was 
really, really interested in having in one of his movies because being Puerto Rican, apparently Mark Anthony is is the Sinatra of Puerto Rico right. for, for people. I mean, that's what he said. And yeah. he said, that, you know, it was on his bucket list to write a song that Mark would sing, which he does over the closing credits. And he really, you know, appreciated Mark's acting abilities from things that he's done going back to, you know, 1999. And it was just a real thrill for, for Lin-Manuel to be able to get Mark to be in the film as well. So, you know, you got you got some well-known actors, you've got some music people, you've got some stage Broadway people. It's it's a really, really cool cast. Right. And and we should also mention that uh, Hamilton is going to be mm. returning to Atlanta, um, I believe in August, right? Yes, August 22nd, it will be the first touring Broadway show back at the Fox Theater. They just uh, announced this week that the first concert they're gonna have back there at the end of July is gonna be with King Crimson, sort of a half house deal. Broadway, when Hamilton opens in August, will be full house, full capacity. They are, you know, selling tickets just like they would. It's going to be there for a month. I wished I had had an extra minute or two to, to ask Lynn about just how he feels. You know, I was just going to mention like, hey, Hamilton actually happens to be the first show that's coming back here. But it was one of those things where when they tell you you have 10 minutes, you had 10 minutes. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we had to wrap it up before that. And I really wanted to talk to him about the movie. But but yeah, of course, if you haven't seen Hamilton, this is a great opportunity to get back to the Fox and to see it live. And, you know, I we all know that those those performers are going to be so thrilled to be back on stage. Right. I'm not sure there's going to be any bad performances of anything for the next six months. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, um, so why don't we uh, hear from uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda himself, uh, Melissa's conversation with him about In the Heights. And if you, even if you can't make it to Hamilton, you can see In the Heights on HBO Max or make your way to the theater to see it. Uh, thanks so much, Melissa. Thank you. I'm going to go get my popcorn, too. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I am fine. Thanks. Listen, beautiful movie. Loved it. Watched it last night. And, you know, while I'm always into anything where the streets are made of music, <laughs> I, I have to ask you, oh, my God, how do you have so many words in you? Between between this and Hamilton, I'm in awe of your of your use of vocabulary. <laughs> oh, well, thanks. I spent my 20s finding them. So, you know, <laughs> this show is it, it's interesting because like it's it's um this show is more like a family album than anything I've ever worked on. I spent my, I, I learned how to write a musical working on the Heights. It's, it's both my first attempt at a full length musical when I was 19 to, you know, uh, it's starting to really get good when Kiara came on board uh, in 2004. And then, you know, we did the hard thing first. Like you're not supposed to write an original musical for your first musical. Even Oscar Hammerstein would tell you, adapt something, um, have a spine so that you can kind of figure out where the songs go and have characters and proceed from there. Um, but we did the impossible thing first. And, and as a result, um, there is, you know, there's so many things I can point to and like be like, I know exactly where I was when I wrote that thing. Um, you know, I'm thinking right now of When You're Home, which I wrote shortly after my third date with the woman who would become my wife. And I told Tommy, I met this girl. And he said, stop talking to me and write the Benny Nina love song. <laughs> um, and so, yeah. 
Well, you know, that's the thing. I mean, you know, people know you from Hamilton, but this is really your baby. And it's taken such a journey from, you know, the time you created it to off-Broadway to Broadway, to it being talked about being made into a movie, to it being made to a movie, then being delayed because of the pandemic. And, you, you know, I mean, when you finally see it now and you think about who you were when you did write it, what what do you feel about it? I mean, how do you feel the story has I guess stayed with you because it, you, I mean I know you tweaked a few things for the film, but really it's yeah. it's the story. Well, what's interesting, and I hadn't really thought of it this way until you you put it that way in your question, which is exactly right. I think I feel the same way about the movie that I do about my neighborhood. I still live in my neighborhood. I live twenty blocks from where I grew up. I live even closer to where my wife grew up. And when you live in the place you grew up, you there's layers to every block. I walk past the place where I was seven years old and took piano lessons on my way to the train station. Um, I can walk 15 blocks north and find the rock next to the cloisters where I used to write terrible adolescent poetry. Words, um, you were using words. <laughs> yes, words about how no one feels the way I feel. Um, and, and so um, when, I, when I watch the movie, it's the same thing. It, it, it's, it's with a double vision, right? Like it's with, of course, like the legacy of, the original company and and what they brought to that story um and and it's things big and small like the character of benny is african-american because chris jackson started playing that part and was so good that we just changed it that was a latino character that we just changed because we had chris um to um the fact that um you know, Olga, who originated the role of Abuela Claudia, right. is, singing, <laughs> is the singing and was too young for the part when she originally played it. We were slapping a gray wig on her uh, at the Rogers. And now she, and you know, and now she's aged into the part a little more. I mean, she's still a little too young to play it. Um, there's makeup going on there, but she, um, it's much more of a lived experience for her. And then to amplify that by filming her in the 190th Street subway tunnel, which is such an old part of New, the New, New York that it still says IRT outside the tunnel. Um, and, and having that be where she has this incredible musical reckoning, it's like, it's like my feelings about the neighborhood and my feelings about this show I've spent so long on kind of uh, on top of each other. This is Access Atlanta. I'm your host, Shane Harrison. We'll continue with more of our conversation with Lin-Manuel Miranda. But first, here's more of our list of things to do and see. Two of the three remaining living cast members from the original Star Trek series will be attending this year's DragonCon convention, William Shatner and Walter Koenig. Shatner, now 91, played James T. Kirk in the series and in the subsequent films, and last fall flew into space on Jeff Bezos' rocket ship Blue Origin. Koenig, 85, was the Enterprise's navigator, Pavel Chekhov. Both Star Trek veterans have appeared at DragonCon numerous times. Shatner, in fact, showed up as recently as last year. Koenig last appeared at the convention in 2018. Nichelle Nichols, another original Star Trek member, sadly died last week at age 89. She was the Dragon Con Parade Marshal in 2016. Check out the Georgia Entertainment Scene blog at AJC.com for more about Dragon Con and a link to the full list of this year's celebrity guests. ATL Live will return for a third year to Mercedes-Benz Stadium, bringing some really big names to Atlanta. Billy Joel will headline the show on Friday, November 11th, with Lionel Richie and Sheryl Crow joining him. On Saturday, November 12th, Chris Stapleton leads the lineup with Miranda Lambert, White Yoakum, and Katie Pruitt opening the show. 
Tickets for the event will go on sale on Friday, August 12th at 10 a.m. via Ticketmaster. Find a link to the ticket site and more info online at AJC.com. Now it's time for this week's adoptable pet from the folks at Lifeline who run the Fulton and DeKalb shelters along with the Lifeline Community Animal Center. Henry is the sweetest. A fun, friendly black and white cutie, Henry loves to play almost as much as he loves his treats. He will lean on your leg for some cuddles and for some snacks. You can meet Henry in person at DeKalb County Animal Services and take him home today for just 20 bucks during the month of August. The shelter is located at 3280 Chambly Dunwoody Road in Chambly. You'll find a photo of Henry and a direct link for more info on the story page for this podcast on AJC.com. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, the Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. This is Access Atlanta from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. The facts matter now more than ever. Get unlimited digital access to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution so you know what's really going on. And you're helping us fulfill our mission to bring you the news that's important to you. Subscribe today at subscribe.ajc.com podcast and your first month of unlimited digital access is just 99 cents. That's subscribe.ajc.com podcast to join the community for just 99 cents. Let's head back to our interview with Lynn manuel Miranda. Well, it's interesting that you say how Olga aged into the role, whereas you aged out of the role. 100%. <laughs> but yet, you know, you, I, I love the fact that you found a place for yourself in it. And what made you think that being that that guy was going to be the right yeah. thing? Well, to I, be? And, I, and, and also having also having Chris make the cameo, too, as a Mr. Softy guy was cute. Right. I, I almost wasn't in it. Um, I really felt pretty strongly like, this is John's thing, and this is the company John has created, and they deserve to have their own experience, and I'm proud of it, and I'm going to be there every day in a chair, but like, I don't have to be in it, um, and Kiara and John were the ones who were like, no, you have to be in it, um, and Kiara finally got me, she tricked me, kind of, um, she, she said, you know, I think that uh, the studio might want to cut Piragua, and I was like, oh, well, they can't cut Piragua. And she goes, I have one idea of how we could keep it in the movie. And I go, what's the, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and then sort of, I'll, I'll just sort of share this with that, which is that I, I, I didn't really have a way into that, except for um, the fact that my, my grandfather died the week after In the Heights opened on Broadway. It was sort of like the heartbreaking counterweight to this very surreal year in my life, I was very grateful that he actually saw a very early preview. Um, and then he was sick during previews. No one told me because I was getting my Broadway debut and still working on the show. And then uh, he passed away and it was, it was, it was really, he was my closest friend in my family. And so I just made Piragua guy the love letter to my grandfather. I'm wearing his glasses around my neck. I've got his like weird dime store cowboy novels. That's like what I'm reading when the song starts. I'm wearing my socks way too high with sandals like he always did. Um, and it was really fun and emotional to show the movie to my family in Puerto Rico and my cousins who share this grandfather. Because first they all die laughing because I'm basically 
basically cosplaying as my grandfather <laughs> in this major Hollywood movie. And then they were so moved because now he's like in it, right. like he's just in it forever. That's, um, a, that's so an awesome tribute. Yeah. 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 Well, I want to ask you this. So you saw with Hamilton on Disney Plus what that broad audience can do for something. And with this being released in theaters, but also on HBO, it's a good thing because you, you've got the extra audience. But then on the other hand, your the production numbers in this are are so tremendous. I mean, ninety six thousand. It's probably the biggest production. I would think you'd be part of even sitting in the chair. But but I mean, how do you feel about people watching it at home versus going into a theater to see it? Because I know even watching it on my TV last night, I want to go see it again. You know, that'll be my first trip back to the movies. By the way, well, that's my hope. Honestly, like I feel like you can't enjoy anything if you don't feel safe. Like full stop. So if that means watching it at home, then that's what that means. Obviously, this was designed for the big screen. Obviously, John M. Chu is not thinking of your iPhone when he has Benny and Nina dancing up the side of a building, but your safety is paramount and your sense of your safety is paramount. So I'm very grateful we kicked the ball down the field a year. Um, I was super against it last year. I felt like I was back in the my 20s, like, wait a minute, we have this show, let's get it out into the world. Uh, and the producers are telling me, you're going to have to wait longer. Um, but I'm, I'm so glad we did, because I, I, I do think that um, you can have your experience with Heights at home, and then you're good, like, any school production that has done the show is going to want to watch this in a theater with their friends who made the production. I know because I remember being in school plays and being like, Pace University is doing a production of Godspell. We all have to go as a cast. <laughs> like, right. you know, and so I, I, um, I, I hope that, well, one, I hope that like we get to a point where we feel safe to go to the movies again. And, and I, I'm hoping that will coincide with uh, the release of this film. But I, I do think that it's a film that rewards repeated viewings. And I hope that people take advantage of both options. Cool. One quick question before we wrap. Mark Anthony, awesome to see him in there. Awesome. Getting him was uh, something that you wanted to make sure was in the film or do, what was your influence on that? Um, yes, it was a bucket list. Um, well, it's a bucket list dream of mine to write anything for Mark Anthony to sing full stop. Um, he is our Sinatra. To write a song for him is to have made it. Um, if you're Puerto Rican, like forget it. Um, and um, I think it was it was my idea, and then it was just finding the time and wait because I also um, the like Sinatra. Wait a minute, he's also an incredible actor. Like you've seen the man with the golden arm. Like Sinatra was also like this incredible <laughs> actor. Um, and I, you know, he was so good in uh, bringing out the dead Scorsese's movie. He walks off with Big Night, even though he doesn't say a word in Big Night. He's amazing in El Cantante, uh, which really was the only other big Puerto Rican musical. Um, it's a jukebox musical to be sure, but it's a movie musical. Um, and so I just, I just knew how good he was. And I, I thought this would be, what an amazing kind of way to um, also like see him in a new light and also like put, again, we have these, um, Kiara very smartly updated this movie to like 
include like the very present immigration debate in a very real way with one of our characters, one of our characters undocumented and struggling with that. And again, like to, to put Mark Anthony in the middle of that, to like humanize it, um, I think is, is the best thing we could do uh, for the debate at this moment. So um, I'm really, I'm really grateful he said yes. And, and then he sings on the closing credits. So I got like my bucket list thing of like, I wrote a thing and Mark Anthony sang it. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thank you, Lynn. We have to go, but I really appreciate it. Thank you for all that you do. You're just such a wonderful creative talent, and it's great to be able to talk to you today. Thank you, Melissa. Thanks. Take care. The AJC brings you the best of what's happening in and around Atlanta on AJC.com, along with deeper looks at trends in arts and entertainment and compelling looks at lost bits of history. Here's a taste of what you'll find there. Joe Granston's band takes the stage for its weekly jam session one Wednesday night at Vankman's in Old Fourth Ward. The crowd fills up as musicians improv over Thelonious Monk and Duke Ellington standards. The audience roars after each solo, trumpets wailing and drums keeping the beat, all seamlessly transitioning into the next melodic line. Jameson Chandler, a trumpeter and jazz educator visiting from New York, plays just like the old days when he was first learning his craft in Atlanta decades ago. For many of these musicians, this is one of just a handful of venues left in Atlanta to play jazz for large audiences. Populated with dozens of jazz clubs and venues in the 1950s and 60s, Atlanta's jazz scene has dwindled in recent years as interest in the musical genre has waned. The few remaining jazz-specific venues closed shortly before and during the pandemic. Read more about Atlanta's jazz history and what some musicians and promoters are doing to keep it alive in this week's Living and Arts section in the Sunday Atlanta Journal-Constitution on August 14th, or find it online at AJC.com and in the Sunday e-paper. There are just a few more performances of The Merchant of Venice on stage at Tavern Playhouse through August 14th. One of the Bard's romantic comedies, some of Merchant's 16th century laughs no longer resonate because they're based in anti-Semitic racism. Modern productions succeed, as this all-female one does, by addressing the problematic qualities of the show head-on and as humanely as possible. In this staging, though there are plenty of laughs and joys to be found, the character of Shylock, the miserly Jewish moneylender, is played with tremendous sympathy, humanity, and tenderness by an amazing Rivka Levin. Whenever she arrives on stage, the tone of the endeavor changes. The character's suffering and destruction, for which audiences in Shakespearean times cheered, instead feels like the tragedy it is. This review comes from our partners at Arts ATL, and you'll find it online at AJC.com. If you're listening to this podcast on AJC.com, please take a moment to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast, so you'll never miss an episode. And you'll be among the first to hear our new format when we relaunch in late summer. For more things to do in and around Atlanta, go to AJC.com. The podcast is edited by Tyson Horn. The theme music is by Bo Emerson and Billy Dewan. And I'm your host and the AJC's arts and entertainment editor, Shane Harrison. Join us next week for more great interviews and events.